Greetings, this is HG Wells, Logset S1 Log4, and today I've realised that comparing my sons to animals is unfair. They may make a mess, but good gosh, at least they don't leave feathers and hair all over my time machine. to return my time machine to its original pristine perfect glory. Hours! Who would have known that nothing sticks to gold paint like monkey shit? Herbert? Jane? Are you doing alright? Have you managed to clean everything up? Yes, yes. Took some work, but my time machine is all spick and span again now. Oh, wonderful. My marvellous time machine! Herbert, can you please stop doing that? Doing what? The time machine! What about my dime machine? That! Can you please stop saying it like that? Dime machine? Yes. Oh, but it makes it sound so grand. It's a piece of scientific genius, Jane. If I say it like this, time machine, it sounds utterly dull, and it is anything but. Now, if I say it like this, dime machine, then it has the gravitas that such a remarkable invention deserves. It clearly indicates to people that their feelings of amazement at such a thing are correct, that they should be impressed. Well, as impressive as a time machine may be, I'll be more impressed when you wash your own socks. Are we really going to go over this again? I'm simply saying that between your time-travelling escapades and your actual work, you can at least find the time to do your own washing. Two children are more than enough to wash up after. I don't need a fully grown man to clean up after as well. But last time I tried, you told me I was doing it all wrong. You were scrubbing too hard. But if I scrub too lightly, the stains don't come out. Well, if you scrub too hard, you'll ruin your shirts and don't think I'll be buying you new ones. But if I... Hello? Anybody in? Oh, bloody hell. Oh, he's early. Early? You invited him round? For goodness sakes, Herbert, he's our neighbour. It's only polite to ask him round every once in a while. Polite? You know as well as I do that the last thing that ever happens when we're in a room together is to be polite. I just wanted to record my audio log, but now I have to be polite with him. Couldn't you at least try this time? Just for me? Fine, fine. I'll try for you. Thank you, dear. Wait, help me hide the time machine. I can't let him see it or else- Herbert, he's known about it for months. He's our neighbour. And the time machine was not the most subtle or silent thing to build. You do this every time. Ah, right. Yes. Of, of course. Hello? Any fellows in there? Hello? I'm coming! I'll be right back. Anyway, you should consider yourself lucky. I think 99% of England would dream of having Sir Arthur Conan Doyle as their next door neighbour. Then I'm the one percent who dreams of anything but having Sir Arthur Conan Doyle as my next-door neighbour. I almost think I'd rather have Dr Moreau as a next-door neighbour. Oh, Jane, it's good to see you. Hello. Do come in, Arthur. We're just in the workshop. Ah, oh, as per usual. Very good, very good. Well, well, well! Doyle. Oh, it's good to see you again, my man. I wish I could say the same. Herbert? 
It's been too long since we last spoke. You really think so? I thought it hadn't been long enough. Herbert! <laughs> oh, Mr. Wells, you never fail to amuse me. The same as always, I see. Always with something to say about everything. Maybe a little too much to say about everything. You're the same as always, too. Not that I expected anything less. Well, whilst you two start talking, I think I'll go and put the kettle on, play nice, and be civil. Wait, Jane, don't leave! You know, Wells, I never fail to be simply dazzled by your work. I mean, my goodness, is that your... Oh, oh what did you call it? Ah, yes, your time-travelling machine. Yes, that's it. Don't touch it! I won't, I won't. Simply admiring it is fine for me. Seeing it finally complete, it's simply splendid. So wonderfully crafted and detailed, you've really outdone yourself this time. Yes. Yes, I have, haven't I? Yes, a good and true proper magic machine, I'd say. <laughs> I uh, think you mean science, Doyle. Magic isn't real. But magic is beyond science, Mr. Wells, and as much as a fact as ghosts are. Yes, you're right. Completely incorporeal with no real grounding. Oh, don't be such a cynic, Wells. Just because you haven't had a psychic experience yourself doesn't disprove it. Well, I can think of a plethora of other ways to disprove it. Magic has no real scientific standing or evidence. There is no physical proof or plausible evidence of its existence, and any research into it has thus far proven it complete and utter hogwash. Your spiritualism is simply a joke. <laughs> Science is the definitive truth. Now, don't you go scoffing at me, Mr. Wells. I refute your rebuttal. Science cannot prove the spiritual or magical. It's beyond our simple human understandings. Ghosts, fairies, they're perfectly plausible. Much more plausible than those Martians you speak so fondly of. Life on other planets, bah, ridiculous. Martians have a significant amount of scientific evidence which points towards the possibility of life on other planets. Well, wasn't it you that wrote, the chances of anything man-like on Mars are a million to one? That's completely out of context. That's said by Ogilvy at the start of the book, before he's proven incorrect and mankind is almost wiped out of existence. I don't understand how you can't find the concept of Martians acceptable when you believe in other near-human intelligent lifeforms existing here on Earth. Exactly, Mr. Wells. Here on Earth? How would fairies breathe on Mars? There's no oxygen on Mars. And there are no fairies on Earth! You know why, Doyle? Because there's no such thing as- Ah! Don't say that! You know what happens when you say that. What? Oh, you know very well why, Mr. Wells. Oh, for goodness sakes, you don't really think every time someone declares disbelief in fairies they die, do you? Oh, good heavens, you do. Of course I do. Honestly, I'm shocked you dare utter such a phrase. I thought Jay and Barry was your friend. He is my friend, and as his friend, I know that he wrote Peter Pan as nothing but fiction. Just because it's fiction doesn't mean that it can't be real. The very definition of fiction is something that is imaginary, an invented story that is untrue, that it cannot be real. Says the man who wrote a book about a time machine. All right, except on... And a book about believing Martians to be real. Yes, yes, very good, very good, says the man who wrote a book about the world's greatest detective. You're not the world's greatest detective now, are you? Or am I? Oh, don't make me laugh. Look, this is no laughing matter, Mr. Wells. I uphold values of great justice, and if it should be necessary, I will bring that justice myself. I could be the finest detective you could ever meet. Right. Well, when you solve some great mystery or unsolvable case, tell me, and I shall eat my hat. 
I hope you know a good recipe for cooking hats, then. I'm sure Jane knows a great deal, but it seems that she'll never have an opportunity to try it. I wouldn't be so confident about that. I am unbashedly confident. You won't have that smug grin with a hat in your mouth. I'll wipe that smirk from your face when you finally get it into your head that it'll never happen. Tea's ready! And you're both still here and standing. Ah, tea, lovely. Of course we're still here and standing. Herbert and- You still don't have first name privileges. HG and I were just having some good old banter, weren't we, HG? Yes. Banter. That's right. Right. Well, I've set everything up in the drawing room if you want to come through now. Ah, splendid, splendid. Let us be off then. Herbert, are you coming? Yes, of course I am. I just want to sort something out quickly first, dear. All right, we'll be waiting. Don't take too long or tea will get cold. Oh, I'll drink it all. <laughs> oh. I do not see myself as an unpleasant man. I do not see myself as the greatest either, nor the most intelligent or most generous. I acknowledge full well my many strengths and my innumerable flaws. I know I can be well-humoured just as much as I can be difficult. I recognise that I can often be impulsive and impatient, faults that this brain of mine has always had imprinted within it. However, I usually find myself quite easily disguising these things amongst company, faking the patience I never had for those who test the little I do. Yet somehow, it is as though that that man pokes the embers of my flaws into a fire that I struggle to tame. That reasonable inner voice that each of us has tells me he is a good person, well-meaning and pleasant. That voice is echoed within what Jane tells me, within how she can view him. But something, I cannot tell you what, blocks that voice of reason in my head. Maybe it's the nonsensical logic of his unlogic. This man has given life to the most logical fictional detective that the literary world has ever seen, and yet he believes in such illogical tripe as ghosts and magic. That total lack of rationale irritates me unlike anything else I've been subjected to. When he starts rambling on about this spiritualism he so fervently believes in, then all the darkest corners of my brain spring to life. I see in my head images of the Martians in their fighting machines plucking him from my house like a rabbit in a trap cage before setting him ablaze in a flash of green smoke with their terrifying and powerful heat rays. Perhaps now I reflect upon it, it is not the man that I so much dislike. Rather his conflicting ideas that only confuse me with their illogic. He's a perfectly decent human being, it's just... <sighs> Wells, sorry to intrude, but are you coming along? Yes, yes, I'm coming. I just need to finish this audio log. Ah, I see. Right here. Oh, just before I forget, I wanted to ask you whether you would like to come along with me to cricket this week. It's been so long since you last came to play with us. Barry and Jerome miss your place on the team, as does Rudyard. Not this week, Doyle. I have enough on my plate at the moment. Cycling is more my fancy anyway. Ah, I just thought I'd ask. I'll leave you to finish. Jane says to hurry along, though. I would have hurried along quicker had I not been interrupted. I never even got to really record down what I intended to. My thoughts on visiting Edgar and Lord Byron. Uh, I'll just record them later. Along with my thoughts on the next two I decide to visit. Review the situation. Measure for measure. <laughs> anyway, I'm H.G. Wells, and perhaps I have some regrets. <laughs> This podcast was brought to you by Turpentine Productions. 
You can find us on Tumblr at Turpentine Productions, Twitter at Turpentine Pod, and Facebook at HG Wells Has His Regrets. HG Wells Has His Regrets is written by Emily Hancock with assistance from Francesca Marlott Ford. Music was written by Joe Ashkari and Emily Hancock. HG Wells was voiced by James Carpenter. Catherine Jane Wells was voiced by Georgia Fisk. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was voiced by Nathan Donnelly. This podcast is fictitious, and all people within are merely fictional interpretations of the people they're based on, and are not to be taken as serious or accurate portrayals. We'll end the episode with a quote from Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes, The Sign of Four. How often have I said to you that when you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. Thanks for listening. Well, 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 it's me, your boy. How are you doing, my man? (laughs) 